Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Anyone out there around my age? No one. Excellent. One. One. Yes. Yeah, Leanne is. I know that. Know that for a fact. Um, I wonder if you can remember, if, you cast, if, you, if you're able to cast your mind back to 1984, uh, do you remember Band-Aid? Okay, good, good. You do not. You do not. Okay, I'm not talking about the plastic strip we put over wounds. I'm talking about uh, the group of musos and singers that Bob Geldof pulled together uh, to produce a song called Do They Know It's Christmas? Uh, Feed the World. Do you remember that song? Who remembers that? Yeah, fantastic. Um, the purpose of that song uh, was so that we could raise money uh, to support particularly those in Ethiopia who were riddled with famine at the time. But it was for wider famine relief as well. Um, some of you may then well remember too, about seven months later, uh, the Live Aid concert. Who remembers that? Yeah, wasn't it fantastic? Live Aid concert. Um, and again, this was to raise money for famine relief all around the world. And, um, you know, anyone who was anyone in the music industry back then was at this Live Aid concert. And if they weren't, they were nobody. Uh, everyone who was anybody was there. So you've got Madonna, you've got um, uh, Mick Jagger, you've got Elton John, you've got U2, you've got Queen. And uh, who can ever forget Freddie Mercury absolutely holding Wembley Stadium in the palm of his hand with Radio Gaga? Um, maybe that floats my boat more than yours, but anyway. Uh, absolutely fantastic concert. And it was broadcast live all around the world. And again, to raise money for famine relief. Uh, it was a great cause. Something that you may not be as familiar with that happened around about that time uh, was a 10-kilometre jog that happened all around the world at the same time. And again, to raise money for famine relief. It was a great concern in 1984, 1985. And uh, I, I went along to that 10-kilometre jog along with a few mates that I was sharing house with. And uh, we were living in Brisbane at the time. And... Uh, Again, this was all around the world at the same time, which meant that in Brisbane, we had to assemble in the Queen Street Mall at one o'clock in the morning. And uh, we did that. We turned up and there were celebrities and TV personalities and sports stars everywhere. And I can remember seeing some of my heroes. Greg Chappell, uh, the Queensland and Australian cricket uh, captain. Uh, Greg Ritchie, another Queensland and Australian cricketer. Uh, Craig Johnson, the soccer player, played for Liverpool, I think. Um, don't follow the soccer too closely, it's not a real sport. Um, uh, oh, so it is? It is? Okay. Apparently it is a sport. Um, uh, so lots of celebrities, lots of, lots of important people and me um, and, 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 and a couple of mates. And anyway, this, this 10 kilometre fun run started and I realised within one kilometre that I was in a whole world of strife. Um, my legs were absolutely burning. Uh, my heart rate was through the roof and um, I knew how much trouble I was in when Kenny Koala, the mascot from Dreamworld, went straight past me. <laughs> Made me look like an absolute goose one kilometre into this race. And, um, yeah, but it, it was fantastic fun. One thing I learned on that day was that it's not easy trying to run 10Ks. Would have been a lot better if I'd trained to run 10Ks. Uh, 
I was a mess. We got home about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, four car doors opened, four bodies fell out. Uh, I remember trying to climb up the stairs and I took that day off work along with about two or three others. I was just in a mess. I was written off. Um, not easy trying to run 10Ks, a lot easier training to run 10Ks. You know, the same is true in the Christian life. It's not easy trying to live the Christian life. It's a lot easier when we train. And that is, in fact, as we will see, the emphasis of Scripture, training to live the Christian life. As I read through the Scriptures, it becomes evident to me that the, the goal of the Christian life, uh, the point that God wants us to aim towards is maturity in the faith. And he wants us to become more and more like his son, Jesus. Paul wrote this uh, to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Now, this is a passage that deals with spiritual gifts. And uh, Paul writes all about, uh, you know, God giving gifts and us needing to use the gifts that God has given us. And then in verses 12 and 13, he says this, The reason that those gifts were given was so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So again, gifts were given so that we might develop maturity in the Christian life and become more like Christ. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Paul writes this, For those whom God foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Now, you know, we're not going to get into a discussion on foreknowledge and predestination. Um, not this early in the morning, anyway. Um, but that verse is saying that the whole purpose of God's foreknowledge and predestination of us as Christians, as believers, is so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus, that we might become more and more like Jesus. This is the goal of Christian living. And in fact, uh, in Hebrews chapter 5, this isn't on the screen, but in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, Paul chastises, uh, if it was Paul that wrote that letter, uh, whoever wrote that letter chastises uh, his readers for still being babes in Christ when at that point in time they should have been mature in the faith. He criticises them for being babes and requiring milk instead of solid food uh, because they'd missed the goal of Christian living. So this is the goal, as I've said, maturity in Christ, likeness of Christ. And here's the point. This is what I want to say this morning. In order to progress towards that goal, we as Christians, we as believers need to train. Trying is no good. Training is what we ought to do. So I'm going to look at these two different approaches, training versus trying. And let's begin with trying. And here I want to highlight just a, a few of the things that we do when we try instead of train. One of the things that we do when we try instead of train is that we, we get it in our heads that we need, to, we need to pray more. That's one of the things that we need to do to become more, more and more like Christ. In order to become the people that God wants us to be, we need to pray more. Prayer is important. And uh, so we set aside a time of prayer, we set a time an hour where, when we will pray um, and it's not long before we become dissatisfied with that and we think we need to do more and more and more. And so we push ourselves. Um, some of us even set uh, an alarm clock 
early so that we can get up earlier to pray earlier in the day, uh, as if God's less busy at that time of day. And, uh, you know, we, we push ourselves. I've got to pray more. I've got to pray more. Another thing that we do is we uh, push ourselves to read more of the scriptures. And, uh, you know, we try to read through the Bible uh, within the course of a year and uh, we work out that that means I've got to read so many chapters of Genesis this night, so many the next night and so on. And uh, we can even download apps now that uh, help us read through the course of the Bible in a year. We can even do it in a chronological fashion. And we push ourselves, I've got to read the Bible more. I need to know more of the Bible. You know, in order to be what God wants me to be, I need to do this. I need to attend more church events. I need to give more. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to do the other. And these are some of the things that we do when we try instead of train. Now, what I don't want you to do this morning is to mishear me when I say this. Uh, I want to emphasise this morning that all of these things, all of these disciplines, if you like, in the Christian life are vitally important. Every Christian ought to pray as much as he or she can. You know, prayer is our lifeline to God. It links our heart with his. Uh, Our relationship is forged in prayer with God. You know, we need to pray. We need to read the scriptures. We need to know what God has done in history. We need to know the promises that he's left for us. We need to know how he wants us to live in our life. We need to do all of these things. They're vitally important for Christian living. But... I just want to highlight uh, two things about these disciplines uh, that I think are worth mentioning. The first one is this. These disciplines in and of themselves do not necessarily lead to godliness or maturity. Now, I know that from personal experience and probably many of you do too. In my nearly 40 years of being a Christian, I've met people who have been in church for a long, long time, but I could not say that they're mature Christians. I know people who have a really good knowledge of the Bible, uh, but again, I couldn't really say that some of those are mature Christians or, or even godly. So personal experience tells me that these disciplines don't necessarily lead to godliness. And in fact, Jesus told a parable on one occasion of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee was a very religious man and the tax collector was quite the opposite. And in this story that Jesus told, we learn that this Pharisee, this very religious man, prayed three times a day, every day of his life. He fasted twice a week, every week of his life. And he gave a tenth of everything that he owned. And the twist in the story that Jesus told was that not only was this man not godly, Uh, Jesus said he wasn't even in a right relationship with God. He tried to do all the right things. He tried praying, he tried fasting, he tried giving. He was doing all of the right things, but he was not even in a right relationship with God. Jesus said, I tell you, it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went home in the right with God. So these disciplines, in and of themselves, do not necessarily lead to godliness. The second concern that I have, and this one I feel a little bit more than the other because I've been here, Um, these disciplines can so easily become the focus of our Christian life. And when they become the focus of our walk with God, 
they can easily then become the measure of our own godliness, our own Christ-likeness, our own maturity in faith. Now, again, I've been here. In the past, I've done this and I've crucified myself literally. Not, no, not literally. <laughs> not literally. Don't, don't we use that word in stupid ways? Okay, uh, not literally. I, I have. I've crucified myself at times when I've thought, I haven't prayed enough. I'm not praying enough. I'm a rotten Christian. I'm lousy. I don't deserve to be called one of God's. I'm not reading the scriptures enough. I set myself goals and I failed time and time and time again. And, and what I do is I condemn myself. Uh, have you ever done this? Uh, you know, if you're doing this at the moment in your life, if you're condemning yourself uh, for not doing all of the things that you should do as a Christian, then my challenge to you this morning, my encouragement, uh, is to stop trying and start training. Stop trying to do all of the right things and start training to be the right person. Let's have a look at training. Before we do... Um, in, in my early 20s, uh, I took up skydiving as a hobby along with another mate. Um, and I, I didn't stick it out. I only did it for a year because I was engaged to get married and uh, it was very expensive to do. And um, my fiancé told me it was dangerous, so <laughs> we, had to, we had to put it aside. Um, uh, but I loved it, absolutely loved it. did it for a year and... Um, uh, I remember our first jump. It was at a place called Tagulawa. Now, um, Tagulawa is west of Brisbane. It's a rural community. And uh, the first jump, the first day that we arrived, uh, we spent the whole day training and then we jumped later in the afternoon. And uh, some of the things we learnt were important uh, if you're going to jump out of an aeroplane. Uh, one of the things that we learnt, we had to lie on the ground and we had to practice arching our back and getting into a, an arched position so that when you free fell, you free fell in a stable position. Uh, so that was important to learn. Uh, we learnt how to land properly and upon landing we learnt how to collapse your chute uh, so that the wind doesn't grab it and drag you all along the ground. Um, I saw that happen actually, it was quite funny. Um, <laughs> uh, another thing that we learnt uh, was uh, in relation to hazard avoidance. And again, at Tagulawa, it was a rural community. There weren't a whole lot of hazards around, uh, but there were some, and you needed to avoid them if you were coming in for landing. Uh, there were some um, telegraph poles, some, some wires, some barbed wire fences. Uh, there were some dams, and of course, there were a few trees, quite a few, in fact. And um, if you're coming into land, you want to avoid those hazards. You don't want to hit them. Um, and I can remember being told that, you know, if you're heading towards a particular hazard, uh, if you focus on that hazard, uh, you're probably going to fixate on it and steer yourself into it. And we were taught that uh, what you had to do if you were heading towards a hazard, you had to focus on a different scenario and steer yourself towards that and steer yourself towards safety. And that's what I want to impress upon all of us this morning, uh, this change of focus in our Christian walk. We need to change our focus from trying to do all of the right things to becoming the right person. And the way we become the right person is through training. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I said that this is the emphasis of Scripture. Training to be godly. Listen to this. Paul writes to a young pastor by the name of Timothy and he says this, "...have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales." Rather, train yourself to be godly. 
So there it is, the goal of the Christian life, godliness, Christ-likeness, maturity in the faith. And what does Paul tell Timothy? Train yourself to be godly. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, now this is a passage in which um, Paul likens the Christian walk to uh, a race. The Christian walk is like a race, he says. Um, now, again, this is language that the Corinthian church would have been well familiar with. Uh, Corinth was one of the foremost Greek cities back then and uh, of course Greece was the birthplace of the Olympic Games. We're well familiar at the moment with the Olympics. And uh, so when Paul writes this passage he's speaking a language that they're familiar with and he says to them in verse 24, do, not, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize. There were no gold, silver and bronze medals back there. They just competed for a wreath and only one got that wreath. So Paul tells them, do you not know that in a race all the runners run but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's talking about eternal life, of course. So here's this scriptural emphasis on trying, sorry, training rather than trying in the Christian life. So I guess the, the question that we need to answer this morning is how do we train to be godly? It's pretty simple, really. Let me give you my thoughts on this. This is training, training to be godly. I think it involves taking every situation that life throws at us and using it as a training opportunity to become more and more like Jesus. Got some blank stares, so let me explain. Um, taking every opportunity that life throws at us and using it as a training opportunity to become more and more like Jesus. Every day of my life, my patience is put to the test. And I, I think it is every day that my patience is put to the test. It happens when I'm on the road. You know, when I'm approaching a roundabout, I know that my patience is about to be tested because people in Tasmania don't know how to use roundabouts. <laughs> it can't get easier. <laughs> I know that when I'm on the road... My patience is going to be tested when I'm driving behind someone who is travelling 10 to 15 k's below the speed limit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it about Olveston drivers? Uh, no, not you guys, you're all good drivers, of course. Um, uh, my patience will always be tested when I'm driving behind someone who's well below the speed limit. Always be tested. Uh, and it's tested in many other situations at many other times throughout the day. What I'm saying is that every one of those situations that arise in my life, I need to treat them as a training opportunity to become a more patient person and more and more like Jesus. Now, I can fly off the handle. I can blast the horn. I can tear off around and probably, uh, you know, use an unsafe overtaking manoeuvre. I could do all of that or I could take that as an opportunity to train to become far more patient. Daily, my capacity to be a kind and loving person is put to the test. Happens when I'm teaching and someone's pushing all my wrong button, all the buttons, you know, all the wrong buttons. Um, 
the temptation to fly off the handle is there. It's great. Uh, you know, it happens when I'm on the phone to a bureaucrat um, or a government agency. Uh, we, Jen and I, uh, were on the phone a week ago, no more than a week ago. We, we had a 30-year-old joint bank account that we hadn't touched in 30 years and we tried to close that account. It had $5 in it. $5. Now, Jen did her part. She gave him all the information he wanted and then uh, she called me. She said, oh, you need to give this guy your details. So I got on. What's your name? Told him my name. Your full name. Gave him my full name. Date of birth. Gave him my date of birth. I remembered it. Um, gave him all of the information that he wanted. My address, my phone number. Uh, then he asked me, when was this account opened? Well, I didn't have a clue. I didn't even know we had the account until Jen told me. And... Uh, after I said, look, I don't know, he said, oh, I'm sorry, you failed the identification test. I couldn't close a 30-year-old account that hasn't been used in 30 years with $5 in it. Now, I felt like telling this guy just what sort of a job he was doing. <laughs> Stupid. It was, it was crazy. It was ridiculous. It made no sense at all that I couldn't close an account that hasn't been used in 30 years and had $5 in it. I felt like telling him what, what sort of a job he was doing. Um, and what I'm saying is that Daily, continually, my capacity to be kind and loving is put to the test. Now, I can tell him what job he's doing or I can treat that as a training opportunity. Is this making sense? I can train to be a kinder person and I can use those opportunities to train to be a more loving person. I'm often uh, being tested in my capacity to forgive others One of the most powerful church services I've ever been in um, was at a church where we had a guest speaker. Not this church, this was another church uh, that we were involved in some years ago. And if I remember rightly, I, I think this guy was a Church of Christ minister. And he had lost his, his daughter and two grandchildren in the Port Arthur Massacre back in 1997, I think. Um, yeah, he'd lost his daughter and two grandchildren in the Port Arthur Massacre. And I remember him, as he was talking about that, telling us that he sat in the courtroom with that crazed gunman and he said he looked him down and felt nothing but forgiveness in his heart for him. That blew me away. And I tried to put myself in his situation and I wondered, how is that possible? How is it possible to look at that guy who took your loved ones and feel only forgiveness for him? How is it not possible to feel anything other than anger and hatred? Well, I'll tell you how it's possible. Through training. This guy had trained to be a forgiving person. At some point in his life, someone had hurt him and he forgave them. And it happened again and he forgave again and again and more forgiveness and so on and so on and so on. So that when it really mattered... This guy had trained for that moment and he'd already become a forgiving person. He'd already forgiven as Christ forgives us. That's what training is, taking every opportunity that life throws at us and using it to become more and more like Christ. Resisting the urges that are so natural to us and saying, no, I'm going to become more like Christ. One of my heroes, most of my heroes are sporting heroes. I love sport. 
one of my sporting heroes is a guy that I'm sure most of you are familiar with, probably all of you, uh, is a guy by the name of Tiger Woods. Um, now, I know he's an absolute potato when it comes to his personal life, uh, but as a sports person, this guy is beyond a freak. He is something exceptional in the golfing world. Now, just out of curiosity, are there any golfing fans here? Excellent. There's three of us. Excellent. Four. Four. Okay. This is going to go well. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you don't like golf, don't worry about it. Just appreciate this man for his uh, ability to play a sport beyond his peers. This guy's incredible. Uh, I downloaded, um, I googled uh, Tiger Woods accomplishments and my computer printer spat out three pages. Now, I only took the first one. And I'm only going to read a couple, OK? Um, these are some of the things that Tiger Woods achieved in his sporting career. Tiger Woods has won 82 official PGA Tour events. 82. Now, that's huge. The only, In fact, it's he's number one. No one has won more than Tiger Woods, not even the great Jack Nicholas. Many people consider Jack Nicholas to be the greatest golfer ever. Jack Nicholas only ever won 73. Tiger Woods has won nine more, 82. Uh, Tiger Woods has won 15 majors. It's not easy to win a major. Okay? There are only four majors in the golfing world. Uh, it's the Masters, the US Open, the British Open and the PGA Championship. Not easy to win a, ma uh, win a major. Tiger Woods in his career only won 15. The only one to win more was Jack Nicholas, and he won 18. So they're not easy to come by. Um, this one blows me away. Uh, Tiger Woods is the only player to have ever won all four of those majors in one calendar year. There's a handful of golfers, only a handful. Remember, they, you don't win these every day. There's a handful of golfers who have won all four in their career. That's known as the Grand Slam. But only Tiger has won all four in a calendar year. And that's so rare. Again, he's the only one that's done it. That's become known as the Tiger Slam. Uh, this guy's a freak. Um, just a few more things. He's, he's won the PGA Player of the Year a record 11 times, the PGA Tour Money Leader a record 10 times. Tiger Woods was the first ever sports billionaire. First one. Uh, he's won the Varden Trophy a record nine times. I don't even know what that is. He's won the Byron Nelson Award a record nine times. I even know less about that. Uh, but he's won these far more than any other golfer in history. Now, here's the thing. Tiger Woods didn't just turn up at the British Open and have a crack at playing golf. Tiger Woods trained his heart out for that event and every other major that he ever won. And I know that's a fact because I got so interested, and I'm sure you are too, uh, that I jumped on tigerwoods.com and I found his training regime. This is how Tiger Woods trains for a tournament every single day in the lead-up to that tournament. Listen to this. 6.30am, he does one hour of cardio training. Uh, he either does endurance runs, sprints or biking. 7.30am, one hour of lower weight training. I'm not even out of bed yet. Okay? One hour of lower weight training at 7.30am. I am, actually. 8.30am, uh, he has a high-protein, low-fat breakfast. That sounds horrible. 9am, uh, two hours on the golf course, uh, practising his swing. 11am, he practises putting for 30 minutes to an hour. At noon, he plays nine holes of golf. 1.30pm, high-protein, low-fat lunch, equally yuck. 2pm, uh, three or four hours on the golf course, works on his swing, his short game, 
and maybe plays another nine holes if he feels like it. 6.30pm, 30 minutes of upper weight training, 7pm dinner and rest. Tiger Woods does that every day in the lead up to a tournament. That's crazy. Now, we look at something like that and we think that's hard work. And it is. Training is hard. We only have to look at our Olympic athletes. Training is hard. But you know what? Not training is a lot harder. Turning up at the British Open and not training, that's hard work. Turning up at the 1500 metres at the Olympic pool and not training, that's hard work. Turning up at a 10 kilometre fun run where Kenny Koala's there and not training, that's hard work. Likewise, trying to be all that God wants us to be, trying to be mature, become mature in the faith, trying to be more and more like Jesus with no training, that's tough. But here's the really good news this morning, and this is what I want to leave with you. God not only says, I want you to train to be godly, he also says, I'm going to give you a training partner, my Holy Spirit. And he will help you become all that I want you to become. And so whenever in life one of these situations arrive, and there are dozens throughout every week of our lives, whenever a situation arises in our life, we ask God by his Holy Spirit to fill us afresh and help us through that situation. God, I'm struggling to love this person. Help me love him through your spirit. Help me to love him as you love him. God, I'm really struggling with this situation. It's robbing me of joy. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit so that I may experience the joy that I'm currently missing. And as we do that time and time again, not just once or twice, but over and over and over, the Holy Spirit develops within us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. All the things that God wants us to be in our Christian walk. That's training. Allowing God's spirit to work within us to not do all the right things, but to be the right people. And you know what? As we go through that process and as we train with the Holy Spirit working in our lives, those things that we used to beat ourselves up with, you know, I'm not praying enough, I'm not reading enough of the Bible, those things become our passion, they become our joy, they become our milk, they become our food. And the Christian life is so much easier, not easy, but so much easier when we train instead of try. So we're done. Keep an eye out. As the days come by for those training opportunities, they're going to come your way and use them to become more and more like Christ.